Hi there, this is Harry Caruso and John Michael Timburo of Car Wash Advisory, and we are going to talk today about sale leasebacks in the car wash space. John Michael, it's great to have you. Thank you, it's great to be here. So, I'll leave it to you to start. Well, where do we start? I guess probably at its roots, right? How did this, how did this happen, right? And I think it's, you know, a creative way for institutions to leverage capital or exploit leveraging additional capital and basically parcel off portions of a business uh, to be able to get access to additional and more capital to get more runway. Right. And sale leasebacks are an interesting topic because as we all know, uh, it's very confusing on surface level. People use different terminology for it on repeat. Uh, yeah. And there's a lot of ambiguity on it. And it's funny enough, something that's existed in many industries for decades. Uh, but it is a new advent in that of the car wash industry itself. And it's a double-edged sword, no? Definitely. Definitely. And I think for those of you that have heard it, I guess probably the best is maybe let's dive into an example, right? Well, what, is, what, what is, is this, a sale leaseback? Right? What, are, what are they talking about, right? What does it mean to, to sale leaseback the property? And I guess the easiest way to think about it is imagine that you could separate your business into two components. So you've got the actual business with the operations and the cash flow over here, and then you've got the, the land really over here, right? And you basically said, instead of having a business where there's land, I'm going to take the land out and I'm going to have two separate entities. Now, imagine someone told you, well, I'm going to pay you higher multiple for one portion of the business than the other portion of the business, right? Well, then it'd be very advantageous to split the business, sell both, and in theory, you could maximize your exit if you were going that route, right, mm -hmm. as a seller, right? So, so how does it work, right? And I'm sure probably the, the simplest way to think about it is everybody in the real estate world, they talk about cap rates, Right? In terms you know, of valuation. But Jam, yeah. John Michael, before we get there, what explain to me or the listeners, right? So you're separating your car wash where you own the land right now yep. to two separate components. And you can from there do what you want, but the sale leaseback yep. transaction itself comes after the recognition of and a lot of owner operators, as you know and we see all the time, right? They run a different entity from a corporate standpoint, whether it be two LLCs or whatnot, one for the land, one for the yep. business. And many a times they lease it to themselves, so on and so forth. But at the very, very, very crux and core, it is the idea of separating land from the business that sits on top and does business on that land. Correct. Okay. From there What do we do? What do we do? Right. So I guess if we approach it from the you know position of a seller, right? How do I decide whether a sale leaseback makes sense, right? Or, or does it ever make sense, right? Which we can get into. But I think in this case, you know, let, let's explore it, right? So if you're separating your business into two parts, you've got, you know, your cash flowing portion and you've got the real estate asset, right? right? And we're assuming that there is a buyer that would say, hey, I'll take over and I'll buy the land from you. And basically you're going to pay me rent. Right, I'm going to be the landlord. I'm going to take over this. I'm going to own this, and you can keep doing what you're doing with your business. Um, and essentially, you know, you're you're basically taking money off the table, right? So, so in essence, you're saying in this instance, this example, we're having me as the car wash owner. I own five car washes. I'm going to keep the land, and I'm yep. going to sell the businesses, and therefore, I am going to be the lessor. They are the leasee, and. I'm going to collect rent for them as the business owner and operator sure. leasing that real estate. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Right. So, so then it becomes a function of, you know, first of all, does it make sense? Right. And, and I guess drawing all the way back is, well, how do I know if I should even consider doing this? Right. And 
Well, the simple answer is, is why did everyone do it for so long, right? Why did everyone spend the last two years doing sale leaseback, right? And, and the, the simplest explanation is there was huge arbitrage opportunity for people to segment the business and the land, right? And the reason for that, simply put, was because of what everyone likes to call cap rates, Right. Cap rates were at a point where they were extremely attractive, which is probably part of the reason why values rose as high as they did because of how creative you could get with exploiting the cap rates. Right. So, you know, a lot of real estate groups, they were evaluating this and saying, well, hey, if if I could buy the land, what I'm going to do is I'm going to apply a, a cap rate. Right. And say, hey, you know, if, if you know, if and again, this is typically how any sort of, you know, business, you know, or real estate investor would look at things is they always do a cap rate, right? And, and simply put, well, what is a cap rate? It, it's almost like your return, right? It's basically, you're implying, you know, some sort of return over a period. And you're, you're essentially getting cash flow back either to you or to a group of investors, you know, h- however it's structured, right? So for whatever reason, people were saying, well, hey, we're going to imply, you know, a, a five cap, right? Mm-hmm. So what does that what does that mean, right? It, well, it basically means that, they would look at the business and they would say that, you know, it's essentially 5% of cash flow over predetermined period sure. until you were made whole, right? And and that was what was seen as attractive, right? So, you know, well, what does that mean to me, right? How do, how do I look at that in the context yeah. of, of this, right? And it's simple. If they're saying that they're getting, you know, your, your 5% back, you know, you then need to look at the second component of, of calculating your value, which is the, it's the rent. Right. And figuring out what, you know, what do I charge for this? Right. And I mean, we were seeing people charge rental rates of anywhere from 20 to 33 percent, depending on how. Sometimes 40. Oh, Michael. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'd never advised to do 40, but yeah. For our listeners who are all on the same page, when we were talking about these percentages in terms of rent setting, what we're really referring to is what percentage of the free cash flow or otherwise EBITDA, right? Uh, what percentage of that are they locking up via rent? So if we take a step back as a business owner, I think the most prudent way to look at this as a multi-site or single-site car wash owner is you you produce a fixed amount of free cash flow. We'll use EBITDA for the rest of this, just for simplicity purposes. Your businesses produce a fixed amount of cash, and you can do what you may with that cash. And one of the ways that you can use said cash is... You can pay it to somebody as the business owner if you sell the land, and that's when you're the lessee, uh, which reduces the amount the business has left over. You can sell everything together, the whole kit and caboodle, without selling it, without spending any money on rent because you own the land. But no matter what, this fixed nexus of cash flow is what is being subdivided, subjugated, and split up in sale leaseback transactions. And to John Michael's point, as you're saying, Right? There was arbitrage to be had. There was value disparity by way of the institutions, by and large, offering cap rates, which are, as John Michael said, basically the inverse of that of a multiple at a rate yep. that was disparate from and more favorable to that mm. of the underlying whole right. real estate plus business. So I was able to take this fixed single asset pool of cash flow and say, I'm going to slice off a portion, you're going to pay me more for this portion, and still end up ahead, even though there's a lesser multiple on the remaining. Exactly, right? Because as, as in the example you mentioned, right, if, if it's, you know, if, if a cap rate is inverse of a multiple, right, if someone was paying you a five cap on your rent, right, if you set rent, you know, you set rent at $100,000, right, you're basically getting the equivalent of if it's at 5%, you know, it's that's a 20 times multiple, right? It, it's one divided by five, which is 20%, right? So if someone said to me, well, hey, you can parcel off up to 40% of your business, 
right, of, of that portion of your cash flow and get a 20 times multiple and the, re, you know, the residual portion of the business will be valued at a, you know, a much lesser multiple, but, you know, another number nonetheless, the blend of these two prices is actually higher than just selling for 10 times. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And, and that's where we saw a lot of these institutions got creative because they did the opposite. And that's why they were saying, we'll pay you 10, we'll pay you 12, we'll pay you 15 times. Because if they were buying the asset and the land, they knew that they could bring their entry multiple down. The caveat being is they don't own the land and they have a big rental obligation. Absolutely. Right? So, so peeling back another layer. So from the owner's perspective, the operators, why does an owner operator do a sale lease back? And when you really boil it down and get rid of all this mishigosh, complete nonsensical buzzword language, it's because they're trying to, or they believe that they will get more money for their fixed assets in one way, shape, or form by doing so than they otherwise yep. would have. So the sale yep. lease back gets them more money in total. Now, Absolutely. from the buyer's perspective, or the people that are doing this post-transaction, the misters, the drivens, the tidal waves of the world, they're able to and have one other differentiated motivator by way of using it as what's traditionally called off-balance sheet financing. Yep. Because it allows them to continue to grow, keep their cash free and clear, and use that for exponential development without locking it in. Exactly. Exactly. And, it, and essentially, you know, I guess simply put is, you know, well, what does this all mean, you know, for guys that aren't, you know, the tidal wave, the drift and the mister? It's, well, if you don't have access to a ton of capital and you want to grow a lot faster, if you could reduce the cost of the business, which is what you're interested in by removing the land, right? It allows you to do a lot more, a lot faster with a lot less money. It's a way to pull out cash. Absolutely. I mean, not dissimilar, although very different, not dissimilar in the largest of senses as a home equity loan or a way to unlock right. capital in a prior otherwise illiquid fixed asset. Exactly. Now, there has been arbitrage and you alluded to this, John Michael, which was really, in, in our opinion over here at Car Wash Advisory, it's really the proverbial jet fuel that was thrown on the yep. fire of institutional investors pouring into this industry over the last four years. Yep. And it's really what allowed for without having to have the reference checkpoint of senior secured lenders and lenders and debtors, uh, you know, normal traditional free for all. It's yeah. an absolute free for all because now they could all of a sudden unlock this capital and there was no checkpoint. Yeah. Right. So, so the music kept going and it kept getting faster and faster and faster. Yeah. And where we are today, as we all know, which is a different topic is the music is certainly slowing down. If not, yep a little bit softer as well. So sale lease specs are a double-edged sword. And let's yep. talk a bit about the downside of sale lease specs and that being optionality. Yep. So when you go ahead and you do a sale lease spec, when you go ahead and you execute a transaction, and this, this does not matter if you are Mr. Car Wash who's executing on a sale lease spec transaction and spinning off the land post-purchasing and acquiring a three-site package, or if it's you as an owner-operator of those three sites doing a sale lease spec, the number one negative result from sale lease backs is the loss and the irreparable loss of optionality. Yep. And that cost may be low enough where it makes the profit on the upside in terms of how much more you're getting worth it, yeah. most certainly. But that optionality is really, and John Michael, you tell me, it's a, it's a very unknown entity or quantity at this point due to the lack of true data as yeah. to where these things will trade and what fundamental value is with no longer owning, owning the land yep. and being on the hook for the liability of the rent. Well, and that's the thing is, you know, you, you take a step away from the large players. And I mean, how many people have we really seen that have a, portfolio of car washes that don't own the land right how many how many individuals right or a family right how many people own anywhere from 
hell, I'll go up to 10 car washes. How many 10 car wash owners do we have where they don't own any land? Without an institutional sponsor? No. Right. Well, and that's the thing. And so, so why? Right. Well, why, aren't, why aren't they doing it? Right. And I think, you know, there's a case to be, to be had that it, it's not always the best thing to do. Right. Well, that, because John Michael, they also don't, the main reason why these guys are doing it. You don't need to. You, what are they going to yeah. do with the capital? It's yeah. almost, the car washes are such a beautiful business because they produce margins on like no other brick and mortar shop. Yeah. There is no other industry where you're going to go tell me that you're getting 55, 60% free cash flow margins. Get out yeah. of here. That doesn't exist. Now, in this industry, we're afforded the luxury of having that. And in doing so, it's very, very rarely the case that a 10-site operator well, you need needs to. to unlock capital for fear. Yeah. That's not what's restricting their growth from going to 10 to 12 sites. Right? Yeah. They're producing enough cash. Well, and they're also not trying to triple or quadruple in size in the matter of six months. So no. they wouldn't need to do that, right? <laughs> because they know how hard Which, it is. Which, again, is another story. But but right, it's the point is there, there hasn't been a need to do it, but also... You know, like you mentioned, I mean, it's it's awesome to sit there and say, wow, if I can get some 20 times multiple for just the land portion of my business, that sounds great. Well, it, it is great, but then you got to remember, you're now on the hook for whatever you've set as rent, right? So, you know, if, if I'm, a, I'm a good site, I'm doing a million bucks of EBITDA, right? You now have what's called EBITDA, right? Because EBITDA is essentially, you know, you have to add back the rent. So the easiest way to think about it is if you were doing a million of EBITDA, and you decide to do a sale leaseback, that that number is now what's called EBITDA because it now includes a portion of the rent, right? The Your rent back. obligation, the add back, right? And what it means is essentially is now that number isn't as clean, right? So if you want to do a transaction, well, guess what? People aren't paying multiples on EBITDA, they're paying it on, on EBITDA. And right? why is that? Well, simply put, is is it debt? You can't, you're not going to pay someone a premium on a rent obligation that you don't own, right? That the like, new owner has to pay. They have it's to a pay. Cost. It. It's a cost. It's, it's an expense. Absolutely. And it's actually, it's a negative, right? If you think about it, especially if it's not, you know, if, if you have an opco and a propco, it's fine because when you sell it, you know, even if you have some creative way to send it up, I mean, it's super, you know, it's tax advantageous for owners, especially, you know, single multi-site family owners to, to do that. And there's, there's many reasons why you should be doing that, but you know, it's much different to have that structure versus a structure where it's, you know, you're on the hook to a REIT or you're on the hook to, you know, some other type of institutional or retail investor that, you know, basically signed on to to this this wild, you know, liability. what is going to be a, a liability long term, right? And so you take that, you know, that million dollars of now what's EBITDA, and if you say, well, hey, what would I get on a multiple basis for the business, you now have to knock down what what have we seen on a million bucks you know if we're talking you know anywhere from again i'd say the average is about 25 to 30 percent but we've seen it down to 20 we've seen it as high as 40 so you know again let's use 30 percent because that's typically what institutions are doing you know 30 percent off a million bucks is we're now talking about an ebitda of seven hundred thousand. right and this is all from an upside perspective john michael absolutely and as you know people who know me or for those that are new listeners my, my background is largely in that of debt capital markets uh so from a creditor side, switching the view, uh, all of a sudden this you know, arguably or ostensibly potential incremental negative becomes appallingly concerning. Yeah. Uh, and that is due to the fact that from a creditor perspective, sure, the cash flows have thinned via yep. the rent payment, but also I don't well, have claim to the land anymore nope. and debt service coverage is down to do the thinning cash flow. Yep. So 
sale lease specs are all good and well when they're done properly. And ju just to take a step back here, John Michael, right? Sale lease specs are nothing new no. for any listener, right? They've existed in uh, quick serve restaurants, like airlines, food, airlines, yeah. any sort of business where somebody's comfortable both with the physical underlying asset as well as the ability to get a stand-in tenant yep. who's ready and capable. So again, fast food is a wonderful example. If a Wendy's operator does a poor job, there are a plenty, plenty of people yeah. at good Wendy's locations that will step in and take ownership of that franchise. Sure. Is that true for car washes, John Michael? Uh, I, well, I would put it this way: is, is is you know, ask the bankers, yeah. right? <laughs> right. Go go ask all these banks that have have you know the the papers on on the debt of everything, right? Because now they're in a position where, you know, as you mentioned, if you can't start servicing the debt, if I'm a you know I'm a commercial banker, do I want to take over a car wash? I mean. I look at car washes all day. I would I would be, you know, very disillusioned to think that I could step in and run it as good as some of these people, right? And so that's the thing is it's not it's not as easy as running a fast food, right? You can't just plug and play. There's also not as many operators, right, across the country. I mean, it, it's few and far between, you know, a lot of newer people, but you know, what do you do with this asset now that you have it? Yeah, and John, right? John Michael and I talk about this all the time, which is that, and I mean this in earnest, if you gave me a C minus site with an A plus operator, I will yeah. take that every day over an A-plus site with a, with a B operator. Yeah. Give me the good operator. Always. That's it. I don't care. Yeah, location is always key. Absolutely, right? It certainly helps. Right. But I can tell you time and time again with empirical examples of really subpar sites with fantastic operators with 12,000 members. Some of the best sites we've ever looked at are, you know, 0.4 acres of land. You know, you come out of the tunnel onto a road, there's three vacuums and anybody in their right mind would look at the site and say, it's a piece of junk and it's doing seven figures. Yeah, I mean, it's what? it's just yeah. fantastical. So I think uh, from a creditor, going back to what we were, where we were with the creditor perspective, that's all good and well in terms of, you know, people will line up to go take over a Wendy's. But with a car yeah. wash, I'm not really a creditor to the car wash. I'm a creditor to the operator. Exactly. When the operator changes, I'm no so not so longer any comfortable, yeah. right? Well, and that's why you, they, they would almost not want the operator to change. They're, they're almost at the mercy to the operators at that point, right? So you have a really interesting scenario of, you know, who's playing chicken with who here, right? And, and, and to add insult to injury, and we talk about this quite a bit, is there has been, and it continues to happen, actual instances where sale leasebacks are predetermined, yep. signed up for, and arrangements where there's forward funding from the REITs or institutions yep. that are going to be the recipient of the land via the sale leaseback transaction before these things are even built. Yeah, so so what, what he's talking about is greenfields. Yeah. Right? If, if, you know, if an institution knows that you're building a new car wash on a greenfield, I mean, just to be clear, it's producing zero dollars of cash flow. So should you be able to lend against that? Again, just even take a step back from car washes. And, you know, I, I'm Canadian, so it's a bit different. But in Canada, we can't take a mortgage on land. You can't. You have to buy it cash. Well, why? Well, it's... How are you going to pay? It's nothing, right? What is it going to do? If I can't pay the bill, the land's not going to pay. The, like, there's, not, there's nothing there, right? There's no business. So again, so to think now that these guys are saying, hey, we're going to build a car wash, but don't worry, trust us. It's going to do like seven fifty a million bucks of EBITDA in like and I'll two years. to give you two fifty of rent. Yeah. Before it's built. Yeah. Before I know how many people are going to come. Before yeah. I wash a car. Before you wash a single car. Before it, you have any idea. It's all modeled. And, and it looks perfect. you the money to build it? Absolutely. Done. No Sold. question to ask. Yeah. Well, it sound, again, it sounds, you know, we're, we're being a bit silly with it, but it, it is exactly what's happened. Oh, and, yeah. then, and now people have their hands up in the air like, 
oh gosh, how, how did this happen? And it's like, no, you knew this. Like we knew this. We was, knew nobody it. was surprised, right? And if you're surprised, it was because you didn't want to look at it or you turned a blind eye to it because it's it's very abundantly clear this was going to happen. And, and John Michael, so one thing we haven't touched on, and for those listeners that also don't know more about my background, so I spent a good deal of time growing a very small stage company to, it was about 20 of us to 800 of us in the specialty lending fintech space. And in that time, and this was during the advent of the lending clubs, the Prospers, the Ondex, right? During that time, that industry was faced with a very similar instance as the car wash industry was prior to Mr.'s IPL. And that, if we want to call sale lease specs as the whole, as the jet fuel that was poured onto this proverbial fire of institutional interest, well, this motivation, which we're going to now go into, would be some sort of other, even on top of that, an even more exponential accelerant of a sort, which is the reason why Mr. Car Wash, the reason why driven brands, the reason why those who are targeting public markets as the ultimate or penultimate exit of their companies did sale lease specs was for not because they needed the money. Yeah. Mr. had the money so much so, in fact, that Leonard Green took out $1.1 billion in a dividend recap. They had yeah. plenty of money. Yeah, they didn't need more. Why did they spin off that land? Well, Mr. spun off that land because when going to public markets and having very, very few demonstrable car wash or related companies trading in public markets, they did what we did back at the spec lenders. They spun off all their balance sheet assets in an attempt to force public markets to value them on a cash flow and non-balance sheet or asset basis. They padded them. It worked. And it's, guess what? Still at $5, wherever Mr. is today, whenever anybody's listening, it still worked. Yeah. Right? But that... They achieved their goal for sure. Most certainly. Absolutely. Now, as to whether or not public markets would have leaned against uh, asset-based valuation approaches, that remains to be unseen because they avoided that sort of uh, instance. But that is why these guys did this. Mr. didn't do it for off-balance sheet financing. They didn't need it. And not only that, regardless of how much cash they had on balance sheet, most certainly they were able and creditworthy enough to get term loans or other sort of variable note funding facilities yeah. of large magnitude to go ahead and continue incremental builds. Yeah, they had all the resources. They had all the funding they needed. They had all the appropriate advisors. So yeah, it's, well, why would they do it? There, there's more to it, right? They didn't They didn't use it for the same reason that, you know, maybe you and I would use it for, right? It's because we don't have all this behind us, right? We would, we would just be looking at as, you know, this is, this is what I have. This is where I want to get. And if you can't get it from the bank, well, that was sort of your only other option for a lot of these guys, right? Especially the smaller ones, but... So let me ask you this, John Michael. So we, we talk with a uh, maybe unintentional level of, for lack of a word, word bastardizing these sale leasebacks, right? They're so bad, right? There's a negative yep. connotation that comes along <clears throat> with them. The inevitable piper will come calling, right? Impending doom. There are, and you tell me, aren't there instances where as a owner operator that currently own the land and the business, aren't there instances where it does make sense to do a sale leaseback? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, and I think it goes to the whole, you know, number one is really understanding what, what's the reason for selling, right? Why are you selling? What's, what's the motivator? And we get a ton of circumstances all the time where people come to us and they say, you know, this is my plan. This is what I want to do. And selling the business with the land doesn't, that doesn't accomplish their goal. Right. And for a lot of reasons. Right. But, you know, we've seen scenarios where it does make sense because, you know, if you can, you know, very simply put, if I had a business, a couple million dollar business, I had no debt on it and I wanted to sell it. Right. What happens when you sell a business? 
you got to pay capital gains, right? And then it, it kills you, right? It kills any sort of upside, right? So, you know, what are your other options here, right? And it's, well, hey, if, if you know, maybe I'm a bit younger, maybe I don't, you know, I think I have a lot of years left in my life. Would I rather just sell everything now, pay capital gains and, you know, have a lump sum of money? Or would I rather, you know, maybe put some money in the bank, get my family taken care of, retire, but have a steady stream of income longer term? Right. Assuming that you're willing to put your reliance on that new operator. Assuming you're willing to put the reliance on the new operator, which is always the biggest, you know, you're, you're rolling the dice, you know, unless you know you've done your diligence and you know who's, who's taking it over, right? I would go as far to say, and this is an opinion, uh, in 99% of instances, it makes no sense to do sale leasebacks as a car wash owner operator. There are yeah. rare circumstances where the cost, which is really how you have to look at sale leasebacks, it is a alternative cost, cost. of financing. Yep. There are very rare instances where it can make sense yep. in comparison to the alternatives, that being a larger debt facility, traditional mortgage, banks, SBA 504, 7A, the whole slew. Yep. There are very rare instances. But other than that, I liken it to that of being on a, on a plane about to go skydiving. <laughs> you have your parachute line and you have a backup and yep. you're the dum-dum that's actually pulling the backup before the plane even the, gets to yeah. full altitude. Yeah. You do not, that is a safety cord. Yeah. And the result of which we don't know what the ultimate answer is going to be. We don't know where you these don't. are going to trade in terms of having these massive liabilities with unproven history. We don't know the degradation to the whole sum of the parts blended multiple basis of a post-sale leaseback car wash portfolio. Yeah. Mister is the best beacon of hope or the bellwether in the space, given that they own what less than 25% of their real estate and still trade at, a, at the time of this 12 to 14 times yeah, for forward, EBITDA. Yeah. Uh, that, that, that's all well and good, right? But I think it's fair to say Mr. Stock Price hasn't exactly been that of stability. No, no, certainly not. And I think it's, again, it's really understanding, you know, who you're getting in, into bed with, right? Is, 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 it, is it a viable option? Yeah, but, you know, nine times out of 10, it's not the right option, right? But there is that one time, and we've seen it before where people, you know, again, if, if you know who's taking it over, if you have confidence and you know the, the plan and you know, more or less securitized, you can you can figure out a way to make it work if and you so, had to. John Michael, just to distinguish, so John Michael, you're referring to if I go ahead as the business owner and I sell the business, keep the land. Yes. What about the other way around, right? So I'm going to yep. keep the business, I'm going to sell the land, and that's Instead. where the alternative financing source comes to. Let me ask yeah. you this. How would you try to quantify what is the cost of that alternative financing path? Well, and, and that's the thing is I, I think, again, assuming that you have a viable business here, you'd have the cash flow to go get financing. Right? Why, why would you parcel off, you know, a big portion of your collateral So you I'm don't the need bank. to? Let's say I'm the bank. And even in today's crazy market, I'm going to say, John Michael, here's the deal. You want to build three more sites. I'm going to go ahead and extend to you. So for plus 2% because you're such a proven operator, yep. you're going to go ahead and build these. We're going to give you 80% loan to cost. Or in your head, you're saying, or I could do a sale lease. Sale lease How does the cost of that sale lease back compare to that of the traditional debt financing? Well, the thing that I think nobody considers is that as soon as you parcel off the land, you know, the multiples they they plummet, right? If you think that you're going to get rid of, if you're going to get rid of the land and still get a ten times multiple, it doesn't happen, right? And you know, it's not like you could sit here and say there's a formula, like right? it's different in almost every instance, right? What is the residual value of the business? Once you strap on that big debt obligation, how do you look at the right? rent though? So absolutely, so you're you're yeah. pulling that secondary parachute, parachute right? Right away, and, yeah. And then in addition, so there's almost an unquantifiable or a you can wrap your head around it and say that it is the selling off of optionality in an otherwise larger 
sort of spectrum of options yep. granted. But then how do you go ahead and quantify the, the, the actual cash cost of that rent yep. to that of an interest rate on a senior Well, exactly. Debt? Well, that's the thing, especially if your sentence, you know, 30, I mean, even if you're good and you set it at 20%, right, which we don't usually see anything lower than that, 20% rent on your cash flow, you can't tell me that it's not more economical to pay your interest. Well, it's tough, right? right? Because, and this is, and John Michael's correct in everything you're saying, I do agree, but I think, right, if you were to take the academic or theoretical exercise to a point of meaningfulness from a numerical standpoint, the only way to do it would be to actually base the price at which you're selling the land at true asset value, yep. not cash flow predication. And then from well, there, you could back into what is an effective interest rate given the rent over that at the asset value because essentially yeah. you are loaning at an asset. Yeah, if yeah, if if you wanted to compare it, you know, right down to, you know, to the letter for sure, right? But it's you know, to me the bigger risk is what is what is the residual value of what's left at that point? And I think that's where you're really rolling the dice, right? I mean, you could you could make number sense of a lot of financial decisions, but you know, what really matters is well, what's the end goal, right? If the end goal is to get capital to expand, grow, and then still do an exit, I would say that there's probably other options you should try before going the sale lease back route, especially as an individual, right? It's just, it's it's very risky. And to be honest, we haven't seen enough, you know, proof of concept on that exit, you know, post doing a sale lease back to confidently say, this is what will happen, no. right? It's a crapshoot. You don't, you don't know, right? And we've seen multiple different instances of it. I, uh, I, John Michael, I couldn't agree more. I think the through line here on sale lease backs, and it's a topic that we are happy to do more episodes on, more pieces on. So as listeners, please do let us know if it's something that you want us to focus on moving forward. But the, the through line here is it is at all, any sort of way you want to look at it, it is selling off a huge portion of optionality, yeah. which unless you're doing it for exceedingly beneficial and opportunistic circumstances, should be your last option yeah. in terms of financing. Agreed. Well, that's all we're going to cover today. We're going to do a bunch more of these. As always, let us know what you guys want to learn about, what you want us to talk about, what's helpful, what's not, and we look forward to doing more moving forward.